It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. It's good to see you here at 1 o'clock in the morning on Daystar. We want you guys to partner with us so that we can be on Daystar. Wouldn't you love to see us every day? Wouldn't you love to have a fresh revelation, fresh manna every day? I'll tell you how we can do that. I want you to partner with me. Get a hold of God's Chaos Code. This is the book I'm teaching largely from today. God is raising up a unique collaboration of prophets and prophetic consultants, which is what I do, and uh, government leaders, which you're watching God raising up government leaders. I mean, history is being shaped right now by the, by the, the Speaker of the House who just rose up, by the, the Netanyahu's of the world. It's government leaders and it's favor, like was on Esther in the government arena. Favor was on Daniel in the government arena. Favor was on David. Oh, in the government arena. God's positioning supernatural influence for his people in government and the marketplace. And he's moving in the chaos of the nations. You want to get a hold of both of these. You want to go to lancewallet.com forward slash favor. Favor is the supernatural smearing of God for your divine assignment. You put that in the midst of great shaking, which is going to be the next 10 years. We're going to see the shaking pattern unfold. Exactly what's happening in the Middle East is virtually predicted as we're reading it in this book. You want to get a hold of this, you can call 1-800-910-6349. And uh, you can partner with me for your gift of any amount. I'll send you the chaos code and the supernatural force of favor. Powerful combination put together just for you. You want to jump on that right now. Let's get into today's show. Um, Mercedes, I was talking about the foundation last week because God is building a house uh, ecclesia. And we talked about how the phases of what God's doing in the earth today in Israel and in the United States mm -hmm. match exactly what he did in the year 500 BC. The pattern is there. What Israel experienced coming back from Babylon, reestablishing their government, reestablishing their territorial integrity, just like Gaza right now, reestablishing their boundaries. We're watching Israel go through the same problem they had then is happening again in 1948. But the church, instead of being a spectator watching it, needs to wake up and realize these things were written for you upon whom the end of the age come. The story of the Jews returning to, uh, to Jerusalem in 1948 is the story of you in the era when Jerusalem and the Jew is back center stage. God is raising up Cyrus rulers in the nations. God is raising up a house, his ecclesia for the nations. God is moving us to where the gates of hell are located and we're taking on the rebuilding of the walls and the reoccupying of centers of influence. And God is preparing the nations for visitation because Jesus is coming to the cities and nations of the earth before he returns as a great judge. He's coming with one final harvest. It's all right there. I mean, it's amazing. It's the story we tell. Amen. It's what happened in Israel. It's going to happen with us. So the foundation of the Christian faith is really going to be, to a great extent, the house God's trying to build. I want you to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and take a look at the fact that you are compared to a house. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And... Uh, Mercedes, feel free to jump in at any point you feel the unction, as we Pentecostals say. Okay. First Corinthians chapter 3, verses 9 and 10. Watch this. Are you, are you likened unto a house? What does Paul say? He says, um, 
In 1 Corinthians, we, have, uh, we are God's fellow workers and you are God's field. You are God's building. According to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder, I laid a foundation and another builds on it. But let each take heed how he builds. You were talking earlier how much you love Apollos in the Bible. Mm -hmm. uh, well, Apollos is referenced here in verse 6. I planted Apollos water. God increased. He's, Paul's saying, as the apostle, he preached, he blasted them out of sin, he gathered the building blocks together, he laid a foundation about salvation, Christ, he got them baptized in the Holy Ghost, made sure they were baptized. He started the church off and laid down the first principles, had to move on. Apollos came behind him and was like miracle grow. He taught and fed and fertilized and the garden grew. So you see two, two analogies here. The church is like a field that grows based upon the nutrients that are in the soil. And the church is like a building that has to have the right foundation. Because if it's the wrong foundation, the building collapses. Have you ever seen these, uh, every now and then we have these news interruptions. Earthquake in Turkey, 23,000 dead. It's always horrendous numbers. And you look at it, it's like, you know, uh, whatever they have, like a Richter scale, a level five, level six earthquake, and the buildings are collapsed in Turkey. You know why? They're all built off of building codes that are antiquated, bought off, paid off. There's no strong engineering standard for the buildings, and people die when the earthquake happens. Meanwhile, in California today in Orange County, there was a six, you know, level six earthquake happen, and they're shaking, you see people screaming, and they dive under the dining room table. No deaths. It's the building code. Take a look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 22. You, my friend, are a building. And God is building his ecclesia and his ecclesia, his house. You are, God's building a house and you are part of the house. You better get, get, get uh, clear on the foundation under your house. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 22. Another cool verse. Verse 21 says, in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple. So now God is saying, you are a building. You're a holy temple in whom also you are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the spirit. This is strange. You're a living stone walking around, bumping into other living stones and God is assembling the stones together in a structure that he can come in and inhabit. I wonder if we really would think about this. I, I was in an organization lately speaking, and I, I was stirred by the trivial way in which people would come and go as a ministry. And people would feel led to come. Then they get offended and feel led to go. And I said, you're not led to come if you're led to go. Don't enter into a building project lightly. Count the cost. If God puts you together with someone, endure the conflict and go through the battle until you get a release on the other side. Because we are covenant breakers, we are superficial, our generation is, is listen, you're not going to get the reward of Jesus in the judgment seat because you keep hopping from place to place and opportunity to opportunity wherever you get positioned best or promoted most. You've got to be led by the Spirit into the place that God puts you and then endure and let God promote you. 
That's, I'm giving you some good Bible teaching, old-fashioned, old-school teaching. But that's the way it works. You're being built together for a habitation. God wants you, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and Daniel, built together, the four of you in Babylon, can become a habitation for the supernatural power of God to promote all y'all to the top of the Babylonian system. A couple of filmmakers I'm talking to right now. A couple of young business entrepreneurs. I'm talking to some people that want to transform an educational system. Starting with the school board. Starting with the university. It only takes three or four where Christ is for you to come together and become a building. What I'm trying to say to you is in the natural order, the first and most important feature of any solid permanent building is the foundation. God can do exploits through you if your foundation is strong enough. But if your foundation isn't strong, then alas, when the warfare hits, when Satan produces the backlash against your invasion, kaboom, the bricks go flying. And when you see that beautiful structure come down, underneath that mass of ruins, was a foundational fault line. Something in there wasn't exactly on the level. So I want you to go to the foundation of the church, Matthew 16. You're going to be part of the supernatural move of God. You can't get there just because you got good looks or a good smile. You're going to have to be led by the Spirit, Matthew. Now, Matthew 16 says something very powerful. It's how you go about entering into this building that God is building. Matthew 16, Mercedes, verse uh, 13. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples saying, who do uh, men say that I am? First of all, Caesarea Philippi. If you've ever been in Israel, you'll find that Caesarea Philippi, Philippians, Caesarea, was actually a resort community. It's a vacation spot. The work was done in Judah and in Galilee and Jerusalem. And when you go up north, there's a little vacation spot there, Caesarea Philippi. Jesus was really telling the disciples, let's get away, uh, get away from the crowd. Let's take a day or two for a, a staff retreat, like a ministry. So they go up to Caesarea Philippi, and while they're there, Jesus says, let me ask you a question. Who do people say I am? He wants to know what his brand is out there in the marketplace. Not a bad question to ask. Who do people think you are? What do they think of your ministry? How would they describe it? It's one of my big problems. I, I, because I do Seven Mountains and I do media and I do preaching and I do prophetic, I, my, my, even my best friends still say, how do I introduce you? How do I describe what you do? It's kind of hilarious. But it happens when, you're doing, when you do different stuff. Who do men say that I am, Jesus says. And some said, well, they say you're John the Baptist or uh, Elijah. John the Baptist or Elijah. And others, Jeremiah. It's interesting how Jeremiah gets in here. I mean, it's not Samson. It's not Ezra. It's not Joshua. It's not Moses. It's, it's the ones that we're talking about, by the way. Someone gave me this insight recently, Mercedes. Yeah. All three of them had a conflict with government. Hmm. Jesus was perceived as a, as a king or an emerging messianic threat to the ruling class. Sure. He carried himself and his message and his influence 
was like John the Baptist with Herod, Elijah with Jezebel, mm -hmm. or Jeremiah with the kings of Israel who imprisoned him for his prophecies. Hmm. All three were a governmental threat. So Jesus, even though you, I don't read Jesus trying to threaten them, but he carried that influence. Well, he spoke a hard word too. I mean, these are, these are, these are people who spoke truth to power. They spoke truth, exactly. Yeah. He was perceived as, as a bold speaker of truth. Boldness characterizes ministry. Mm -hmm. Simon Peter, then Jesus says to him, oh, well, who do you say I am? <laughs> you can imagine. I want you to put yourself in this position. None of them are quite sure. They know he could be, in some strange way, Elijah back from the old or Jeremiah. I mean, they're throwing out what they're hearing, but they're also, in a way, suggesting what they themselves are trying to figure out. We're actually, we're trying to get a handle on who you are. Clearly, you're sent from God supernaturally, but we're trying to figure out, if we're trying to fit you in the past, we're looking for that model. Peter is challenged. Who do you say that I am? You. What's your revelation? Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Graham Cook once taught me this. And it, was, it was, he preached it in my church and it's like, <gasps> like a, astonishment. And Jesus caught it. It was like a, it's like suddenly a revelation. It wasn't like Peter going, oh, you guys are so slow. So slow. You want me to answer Jesus? He was like, he just got it. He's like, <gasps> you're the Christ, the son of the living God. He said it because he just realized it. And Jesus answered and said, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. It's a beautiful verse because what it says is, the church, the foundation of the church you're about to see is a revelation uh, as a result of a personal confrontation with Jesus. It's not a building, not a church, not a priest, but Jesus himself confronts you. And if you have never had that encounter with Jesus in the confrontation of you and him to determine who he is and who you are, you probably never were born again. But I'll, I'll, some of you are going to get freaked out by that, but let me, let me just read on. Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Now this teaching that uh, Peter is associated with the rock that will be church would be built upon is what basically fed the Catholic church throughout the entire first thousand years of church history. Not the first century church, but from three, four hundred, five hundred on, you know, it became more and more the doctrine that Peter was the foundation. But I want to show you how, how interesting the, uh, the language is here. Because the word for uh, Peter here is Petros, which is a small stone. The word Petra means large rock. The play on words here in, for us is Jesus is saying that you're a stone built 
upon the foundation of the rock. And the gates of hell cannot prevail against the church that is building on the rock of the revelation of who Christ is. Peter is the stone built upon the rock. And though there's a similarity in the sounding of these two words, there's a great difference. One supports the other. Peter will deny Jesus. Peter will have challenges later. He is certainly not the rock foundation. He is the rock built upon the foundation. So what I want to suggest to you is, have you had a revelation by confrontation? Have you had an encounter with Christ at any point where, uh, where you've met him? And I suppose there are people that could say, well, I grew up in church and I don't really have that moment. But you will have known that moment because there always comes a moment in your life where you have your will and God has his. And if you've yielded your will to do the will of the Father, the only way that you actually can do that is because the Spirit of God, by the grace of God, is at work on the inside of you to do it. It's the evidence that you're, that you're a believer. Every now and then when I've, when I've battled uh, and I've thought, I've wondered, Lord, am I really, really saved? This, I used to struggle with this when I was a young Christian because any time that I caught myself falling short, I questioned my salvation. That's why that word of prophecy I got once from a great prophet that spoke to me in an earlier broadcast, I told you, with the doctrine of laying out of hands, and he said, you have worried at times about the thoughts of storm. It's raged at time. You said, if I have these thoughts and I have these battles, how can I be a believer? How can I be a Christian if I fall to these, these, these sins and I have a storm? I'm not, uh, am I really saved? The Lord speaks to you this day that one by one those strongholds are coming down under the authority of Christ. And I found in the Word that we can take our thoughts captive. We don't have to be captive to our thoughts. The sequence here is very important. The uh, first sequence is a personal confrontation with the truth. Have you ever had a moment when God has challenged you to give him your will and surrender your way to him, your life to him, to do what he wants? Have you had the experience of laying down your will to do his will? That's the evidence that you've actually met Jesus. Uh, second, it was a personal revelation that Peter got. Peter didn't go to school and acquire it. It was a discovery. Have you had the revelation from God that Jesus is the Messiah, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living? Have you had that meeting with Jesus? And uh, thirdly, that personal acknowledgement by Peter of the truth. Have you confessed and spoken and acknowledged that Christ indeed is Lord. Have you responded to the revelation and confessed it? Because that fourth step is an open public confession where other people know that you have had an encounter, a confrontation with the living God, that you've had a revelation of who he is and that you've acknowledged it with your mouth and that you're willing to confess it in front of others. These four elements are the successive stages of what it means to build upon the rock. And I think it happens with every part, please hear me, every part of your growing is a kind of a divine confrontation with the truth. It's a revelation that comes to you of that truth. It's a confession and a submission to the truth. 
and then it's a proclamation and an education and a sharing of that truth with others. These four phases is what continues the building process in every area of your life. You really can't go beyond in the flesh and build a spiritual life. It has to come by the Spirit, and the Spirit of God will teach you these things that are written so that, uh, in a sense, my words are spirit and they are life, is what Jesus says. The flesh profits nothing, but my words are supernatural containers of divine energy. And they reveal, and once the revelation comes to you, the trick, if you want to use that word, is don't let the devil steal the seed that God gives you, but guard it. And in today's busy world of activation and activity all the time, I'm afraid that we take eternal truth and, and we lose it. We, it. It dissipates. It flies away because we don't guard it. We don't garrison it. We don't, we don't uh, protect the word. And I pray that every one of you develops this hunger in your heart for the word. I'm not 100% Jewish. I'm a percent Jewish. My mother's Gentile. But I did discover that in my bloodline, it's Levitical. My, my forefathers and my, my, the foremothers were Cohens, and they were Levites. The Levites were a teaching tribe in Israel. And I sometimes wonder if the hunger in me for the Word of God isn't born out of the very DNA inside of me, filled with the Holy Ghost, crying out to know Him. And here's what I want you to go to. Go to 2 Timothy chapter 1 right now. You get a revelation of the truth, but the revelation of the truth should lead you to the one who is the truth. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, in verse uh, 1, we have this very powerful uh, verse. Paul is reflecting on his life as he's ending his life. He's thinking about his, uh, his, his facing Jesus and giving an account of his labor. And he says something curious in chapter 1, verse 12. He says, for this reason I suffer these things. What reason? Verse 11. I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher of the Gentiles. For this reason I suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep what I've committed to him until that day. What day is that? The day when he gives an accounting of his life and he is rewarded for his labors. In his teaching to uh, Timothy, he says, hold fast the pattern of sound words which you've heard of me in faith and love which are in Christ Jesus the good thing which was committed to you, keep by the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. And then he gives a warning. He says, and this know that all those in Asia have turned away from me, among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. The Lord grant mercy to the house of Anesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But what I want you to see here is in the final days of the apostles, some people left him. People that were with him deserted him. He could have been bitter. He could have felt betrayed. He could have felt deserted. But his strength is in he knew his calling. I was appointed a preacher. I, had, I was set apart for the work and the office. I'm in convergence doing this thing. And that's why I'm picked on. That's why the devil fights me because 
I'm hitting him every day with the gift that I've got, and he hits me back fine. We'll exchange blows, but I'll come out the victor because I've got eternal fruit, and I know whom I have believed. I believe in Jesus, and Jesus himself is going to judge me and reward me. That's a pretty powerful statement. And he says all this in verse 6, to remind his young protege to stir up the gift of God which is in him through the laying on of my hands. One of the six foundation doctrines we're going to be talking about is the doctrine of laying on of hands. Paul says, I release to you gifts of the Spirit. I know what came out of my hands and I know what I heard God say and I prophesied over you. And he spoke to him with the laying on of hands. And one of the things that Paul must have spoke to him in his prophecies was that God hasn't given him a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power and love and a sound mind. I got three minutes left. I want you to flip back to 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 8. 1 Timothy. Paul knew who he had believed. He had transferred that belief to others. He had transferred it to young Timothy, a protege. Even in the midst of betrayals, Paul was confident because he had a revelation of Christ, the rock was what he had built on. It was Christ himself, not just the ideas or the theology, but the encounter with Jesus. And then what we find right here is that uh, the Apostle Paul, in the, uh, in the first chapter of Timothy, he is calling Timothy and reminding Timothy, in verse 18, this charge I commit to you, son Timothy, according to the prophecies previously, prophecies previously concerning you, that by them you wore a good warfare with a good conscience. For I have, uh, some have rejected the faith, have shipwrecked themselves, of whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander. Now he's naming two more. Paul never failed that he's named four people now that screwed up. Two that went off with bad doctrine, two that betrayed him or left him under pressure. <laughs> I love Paul. He just lays it out there. He doesn't feel convicted he's talking bad about the church. But he says, I'm giving you a charge that you wage war according to the prophetic words on your destiny that came when I laid hands on you. Folks, I want you to have the impartation of truth. Get a hold of God's chaos code because it's my way of sharing with you the prophecy that will stabilize you. If you can see the words that are in here regarding the fact that God says, I am with you. You're entering into a period of church and government tension much like the early church, but I will stir you up to be strong and to build. We wrote that in here for you. I want you to know what God's chaos code is for the shaking of the last days. The day that Hamas attacked Israel is the same day Haggai prophesied to the Jews, God is building a house. Get busy with the house of God because uh, God's going to shake everything that can be shaken. Get a hold of this teaching and the uh, teaching on favor. How to be smeared with the anointing for divine appointments. Smeared with the anointing for divine promotion. Smeared with the anointing of favor. The force that God puts upon you to promote you to where he wants you to be. You can get the favor teaching and the, uh, the complete book of God's Chaos Code, what's happening in the next seven to eight years. And it's just yours as a gift from me to you. For any love offering that you give, for any amount that you choose to give, you can call 1-800-910-6349. Please be generous and help us get this message out. I want to be able to do more broadcasts than 1 a.m. on Daystar and a couple of Facebook broadcasts. 
1-800-910-6349 or visit Lance Walnau, W-A-L-L-N-A-U dot com forward slash favor. And we're going to see you again next week. Did you enjoy this latest episode? Please remember to share it with your friends because the more knowledge you have, the better equipped you are to navigate the world. We'll be right back.